0: Well, if you would uh, open your Bibles to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, as we have discussed earlier, this is a, a covenant treaty document before the Israelites go into the promised land. Moses is reiterating the covenants. If you look at your yellow cardstock, if you have one, you'll see that's The prologue of the covenant goes from chapter 1, verse 9 through 4.43. Today we are going all the way to verse 40. In other words, this is the end of the prologue to this covenant treaty document, but actually these last uh, 15 verses are a mini preview of the whole treaty. Every one of the elements of the treaty is in these last 15 verses. There's... uh, a declaration of the stipulations of the covenant, which is obedience. There's blessings and curses of the covenant. The maintenance of the covenant that would be proclaimed to children and children's children. The oath of allegiance to the covenants in the name of the Lord. And then witnesses to the covenant. Moses calls heaven and earth as witnesses. In other words, God Himself. Last week we saw that as as Moses went through the stipulations of this covenant, if he summarized them, it was obey the Word of God. Obey the Bible. Obey the law. Obey the Word of God. This is what is due to your King. The Israelites should hear it and do it and trust it and shine it to the nations and guard it and teach it. This theme comes up again and again in Deuteronomy. Now Moses transitions though as he... um, Illustrates the the stipulations of this covenant by talking about God's supremacy in worship. Only God. We worship no one else but God alone. Of course, these these themes are not just for the Israelites, they are for us as well. So I'll begin reading Deuteronomy chapter 4. Please remain seated. I'll read verses 15 through 40, picking up where we left off last week. Remember, this is the the culmination of his whole argument before he begins the uh, covenant treaty document stipulations in detail. All right, verse 15, the Word of God. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that are that the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples, all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of His own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and He swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land, I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke Him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in number among the nations, where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for Himself from the midst of another nation by trials and signs, by wonders and by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. Out of heaven He let you hear His voice, that He might discipline you. And on earth He let you see His great fire, and you heard His words out of the midst of the fire. And because He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence by His great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God has given you for all time. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we lift up ourselves to you and our prayers to you once again. As people in great need. People whose eyes are often so cloudy. Whose minds are so dull that we would not see or hear your words rightly so we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts let us understand this good word we know that all scripture is god-breathed and all scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so equip us for every good work that you have prepared for us glorify yourself in your word tonight in jesus name amen So the theme of the message tonight from this text is very simple. Worship God alone. Worship God alone. Jesus is the only Lord and the only one to be worshipped. It made me think of so many of the martyrs who were given a choice to live if they would worship another God or die. This is a, a very familiar for some of you um, account of a wonderful martyr in the early church named Polycarp. He lived in the first and second century. He was the bishop of Smyrna, and one of the last living disciples of the apostle John. The martyrdom of Polycarp is an amazing testimony of his commitment to Jesus Christ. Um, he could have renounced his faith and he was encouraged to do so. A Christian would be told under threat of death to renounce Christ and confess that Caesar is Lord. But Christians would only ever say that Jesus is Lord. And one of the modes of torture and execution uh, was to be attacked in a public arena. A number of Christians had been killed in this way. Polycarp initially wanted to give himself up, but his friends convinced him to run, to hide he was the bishop of of the whole town of smyrna it was a city a very large city all the christians looked to him for leadership he was eventually discovered and brought back to the city and he was met by the captain of the police and his father uh, who removed him to their own carriage to prevail upon him to recant to just say a few simple words that would appease the people. What harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and offering incense? They asked him. He gave them no answer. Finally, he told them, I'm not going to do what you want. So they threw him out of their carriage, and he was immediately taken to the stadium. Such a tumult was heard, it said, that no one could even hear. In Polycarp's final minutes, he entered the stadium, and he is said to have heard a voice from heaven and all the believers with him, which said, "Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man." The Christians all heard the voice, but no one else. At length, he was brought up, and the proconsul inquired of him if he was Polycarp, and he pers- he said that he was. And the proconsul said, please have respect of your age and just say, I swear by the genius of Caesar and repent and then say away with the atheists. Christians were called atheists because they didn't worship the Roman gods. Polycarp looked upon the whole multitude in the stadium and he said, away with the atheists. Realizing that Polycarp would not recant. His captors threatened him with wild beasts. They asked him why he would not recant. And he said, how could I recant after I've served this God for 84 years? And he's always been faithful to me. How could I then blaspheme my king who saved me? Finally, they lit a fire, but Polycarp was not dead even after the fire, so someone stabbed him in the heart. And finally, after dying, his body was burned. The great courage of the man Polycarp was the courage that God gives to His people when they face similar situations or even less serious situations. The thing is, a Christian will never worship any other God. We never will. You never will. You think, I don't know if I could do that. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you in that moment or any moment like it. And you will not worship any other God if you are truly the Lord's. So the Israelites were told by Moses, You're going to be very tempted as you go into the land. This is the first point that there's no other worship that's allowed. No other worship. Look in verse is it fifteen? He says, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully. Watch yourselves very carefully. You're about to go into the land and Moses says, be careful. Why? You will be tempted. You will face obstacles. You will see other people who look very happy worshiping other gods. You should be very careful. You should watch yourself very carefully. And this is the word that keeps popping up throughout Deuteronomy. Watch. It's Shema. Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the same Shema. Watch yourself. Shema yourself. In other words, hear, listen, obey your heart to the words of God. How? Remember the law. Remember the commandments. Most of all, remember your God and worship Him alone. That's the message. That's the sermon. Remember your God and worship Him alone. No, you can't go home yet. I've got a few more things to say. But that's the sermon. He goes on in verse 16. He says, beware. So he says, watch very carefully. And then he says, beware. Lest you act corruptly. You see what he's saying? He's saying, watch your own heart. Beware of yourself and your own corruption. Watch out. Lest you make a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure in the likeness of male or female. We'll discuss this in greater detail in chapters 4, 5, and 6 and beyond in Deuteronomy. Sorry, chapters 5 and 6. But this is the preview of the whole exclusive priority of the worship of Yahweh. He expects His worship alone. No other worship is allowed. The people of Canaan have carved images everywhere. They're in their houses. They're in their tents. And they worship them. Indeed, this kind of worship would plague the nation of Israel for hundreds of years. And God knew that. And He's commanding them now, watch yourself. And God forbade the carving of images in the form of any figure for worship. Male, female, but there's more. Animals, the likeness of winged birds, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the hosts of heaven. And you'll be drawn away to bow down or worship them. You see, we are made to worship. And those who don't worship God are going to worship something. And Moses is saying, be careful. Watch yourselves. Interesting that he says, these things that the Lord your God, verse nineteen twenty. these things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the people, the sun, the moon, the stars, the host of heaven. In other words, all of these things, all of these These hosts of heaven and indeed all of creation are part of God's common grace. They're gifts to humanity. Not to be worshipped, but in fact to point to their Creator. That's what we read in in chapter 1 of Romans. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Isn't it interesting that Paul writes in the same light, in the same vein in Romans 1, Their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they were fools. And he's talking about humanity. How? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He's almost literally quoting verbatim Deuteronomy 4. They're serving the creature rather than the Creator. And this is the bent of man to serve anything but the Creator to serve anything but God. So I know you're probably thinking to yourself right now, I don't worship idols. I've never even had an idol. I don't even know what one looks like. That's a completely pagan thing. This has nothing to do with me, but this is actually all about us. We're much more skilled at hiding our idols now. You don't have idols, but you have them in your hearts. Maybe the physical idol has been replaced by a secret idol. Our hearts are little idol-making factories as Calvin liked to say. And it's also fascinating to me that even the most educated people on the planet, they still worship all kinds of created things, don't they? Birds, animals, creeping things, fish. It's called evolutionary science. It's the new religion. These very same things are worshipped in a way as nature seems to have some sovereign qualities in this religion. Satan has no new tricks. It's all the same. It's all the same idolatry. And that's why Moses says take care. Take care. Be careful. Shema your heart. Watch, hear, listen, obey with your heart. Verse 23, he says, Take care again, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make a carved image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. There's no other worship. And we should take this to heart as well, saints. There are so many things that will tempt you to worship. I'm going to worship my children. I'm going to worship my wife, my husband. I'm going to worship my government, my money, my house. There's no other worship that's allowed. The worship of God is something we must guard and protect and we must guard our hearts. This is the theme of Scripture. Then He gives us four reasons. This is the second point, but it's the second point in four parts. The four reasons that we should be careful to obey. What are those four reasons? I'll tell you, be careful to obey, first of all, because of the holiness and purity of God. Look at verse 15. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horb out of the midst of the fire. Verse 24, the Lord is a consuming fire. Verse 36, out of heaven, He let you hear His voice that He might discipline you. And on earth he lets you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire it's as if the holy God when he when his when his presence came down from heaven and it was thought by the Jews that that the mountain was like a footstool for him that his 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 holy presence came down upon the mountain and the holy God his presence filling the The corrupt earth, it just burned with fire. Everything on the mountain. Our Lord is a consuming fire. His holiness is such that any sin is a revulsion to Him. He can do nothing else but purify. He isn't like the gods of the other peoples. These idols that could be carried around and covered up, hidden away or lifted up. The presence of God is best seen as this consuming fire. And He's absolutely different than any created thing. Nothing can compare to His glory, His power, His wisdom, His goodness. They've never seen anything like it. The angels cry out constantly in heaven, holy, holy, holy. And the angels there are without sin. And they pale in His presence. It's like Dr. Sproul said, I can understand sinful, wicked men. That's the water we swim in. What I can't understand is a holy God. It reminded me of my son when we brought him home. He was only, I think, 18 months old, 20 months old. Little, little guy. He had been in an orphanage literally his whole life in the north of Ukraine. Freezing cold. Never been outside. Can you imagine? 18 months old. Never not had shoes and socks on, except when he's asleep in his crib. So we brought him home. We didn't know any different. We went out in the backyard. His little feet had never touched the grass. He was horrified. Horrified. His feet didn't know anything but socks and shoes and hard concrete. We went to the beach. His little feet had never touched sand was horrified. His little feet had never touched dirt. He had probably never touched dirt. He didn't like dirt on his hands, on his feet, or anywhere. He was horrified. It was repulsive to him. That is a, just a, a faint shadow of the revulsion of God against sin. And this is the holy God, the pure and mighty God, who is showing Himself to His people as a consuming fire and His purity, which had always existed, perfect among the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who would live forever in love and purity and holiness, was displayed in power at Horeb in fire. That's the first reason Moses warns them to obey, that your God is a holy God, a pure God, a consuming fire. But secondly, he says that they are to obey because of God's own condescension to them, for revealing Himself to them. We see this in verse 32. He says, For ask now the days that are past or present, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the whole earth, from one end of heaven to the other, where there's such a great thing as this has ever happened or ever heard of. Do you realize that God revealed Himself to man? Do you realize that God has revealed Himself in the same way to you? And it's amazing. This inspires our own obedience. The fact that God would look out over all the earth and say, I'll reveal Myself to you. And to you. And to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all of his descendants who were hearing this message, Moses is saying, don't forget that God has chosen you. From all the peoples of the earth, He has chosen you. And poured out His favor and love upon you and revealed himself to you in his word he's condescended to speak to you verse 33 did any people ever hear the voice of god speaking out of their midst out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live the answer is no they heard the voice of almighty god almighty god had spoken to them in holiness and purity yes but in love in revealing himself and condescending to speak to them personally. They heard His voice, but also through Moses and through His commandments. The implication is obey. Obey. So you might think to yourself, well, I wish I had seen the fire on the mountain. If I had seen that fire on the mountain, if I had actually seen that fire like they did, I would never have a problem obeying God. Peter also heard the voice of the Almighty God on a mountain. He talks about it in 2 Peter 1.17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, Peter, James, and John, we heard God's voice. We heard Almighty God speaking of His Son as majestic and powerful and pure and holy as that voice was. We heard it. God revealed Himself to us there. But then He says something amazing in verse 19. I like the King James. He says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy.'" Now, I heard the voice in the mountain, but we have something more sure. The word of prophecy, the scriptures, the British version, the UK ESV. This is for you, Patty. The British ESV rendering of the Greek, I think, captures it best. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will all do well to pay heed. So Peter says we have something more sure than a voice from heaven. Do you realize You have something more sure than a voice from heaven. Than a fire from heaven. You have something more certain than that. And that's God's holy word. Inspired by the Holy Ghost. Which also lives in you. This is sufficient. It's all we need for life and godliness. You don't need to see a fire on a mountain. You don't need to hear a voice. You need the word of God. You need to remember that God condescended to give you his word. To reveal himself to you. And this should inspire your obedience. The third reason why Moses says they should be careful to obey. Not only has God revealed Himself to them, but God has redeemed them. He's saved them. He talks about this in verse 20. The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of His own inheritance as you are this day. This is reiterated in verses 34 and 35, which we'll read in just a minute. God is a Redeemer. He's redeemed them out of slavery. So they should be careful to worship only the Lord. He's their Lord and Master, their Creator, but also their Redeemer. It's called an iron furnace because it was miserable. It was burning. It was terrible. And He brought them out of that furnace the suffering heat of slavery in Egypt, to be His own people. And they owe Him their allegiance and their obedience. Remember, the law of God was given to a redeemed people. They had already been redeemed from Egypt. They weren't earning the favor of God. They already had the favor of God. So they obeyed thirdly because God had redeemed them. And He hammers this point home at the end of this this prelude where he says in verse 34, has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for Himself from the midst of other nations? By trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand, an outstretched arm, by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? The answer, of course, is no. No God had ever done anything like that. There is no other God, of course. No God had ever taken a nation out of another nation. And not only another nation, this is Egypt. This is the unrivaled superpower of the world. Their power and might knew no equal until Yahweh arrived and took His people out. And God showed up and brought the most powerful nation on earth to its knees. Why? Verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other besides Him. They should remember all that God had done for them. Redeeming them from slavery, and know that the Lord is God, and there is no other. It's interesting the the connection between our being redeemed, our love for God, and our obedience to God. We've been studying this on Wednesday evenings. God's law and our duty to God. We see the same relationship that is implied or commanded between Moses and the people and God and our obedience as well. God has also redeemed us, not from Egypt, from slavery to sin and Satan. He saved us by a powerful, outstretched arm. You say, I don't think it was that big a deal when I got saved. It wasn't like terror and might and war and... Miracles bringing a a people out of Egypt? No, it was actually more spectacular and supernatural. The redeeming of your heart was, some would argue, a more powerful display of creative work than the creation of the universe. Because the, the universe was created by His Word and it was created by His Word, good. He has in your life found a way through Christ to take your sinful self and make you righteous for worship and for His family. We wicked sinners are deserving of nothing but God's wrath. And when we realize that we also have been redeemed, this produces nothing but gratitude and love in our hearts. And the result of that love is obedience. And this is what Moses is telling the people. Remember that God has done this for you and obey Him. Obey Him. And it's always in the context of love. Remember the Lord your God. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. God wasn't commanding them to do something just mechanically. It was all in the context of love for God because of His redemption. Because of His power, His purity, His holiness. And his special revealing of himself to these people. Jesus says the same thing that Moses is saying to the people in different words. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And these are not burdensome. This is our duty to pursue our loving father by obeying him. So there's three reasons why God is commanding that they be careful to obey. I'll give you one more reason. And that's a certainty of punishment for rebellion. Moses says, even I, even I don't get to enter the promised land because I rebelled against God. Although it was also the people's sin. And him as a representative. But he says in verse 21, Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. The penalty for sin is always death. Moses says, I'm going to die here. And remember, Moses also sinned. He's saying, even I am subject to punishment. You look at me as the great prophet, and he was. If Moses, the greatest of Israel's Old Testament prophets, is punished for sin, you should be very careful to obey as well. That's what he's saying. Be very careful. Shema your heart. Guard. Obey. Protect your heart. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. He says in verse 25, if you act corruptly by making a carved image doing anything evil in the sight of the Lord your God, to provoke Him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You'll be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone. Work of human hands that neither see, hear, eat, or smell. God was a consuming fire. He was to be worshipped in Him alone. God will not put up with any presumptuous or persistent sin. He will not be mocked. He is patient, but He will punish the wicked. And they will utterly perish from the land. Moses is warning them. You will be utterly destroyed. I'm reading through 1 Kings in my private um, devotions, and it is a fascinating book of the Bible. In 1 Kings 9 and 10, we see all the blessings of obedience given to Solomon in his kingdom. It's David, of course, and then Solomon. And the reign of Solomon was from the Euphrates River to the Red Sea and from beyond the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. He had complete control. It was all the blessings of Deuteronomy 32 and 33. All the blessings were given to Solomon. It was, a, it was a picture that God was saying, all my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are true. We know, of course, that it's only a shadow of the promise that is to come. But for those people, they thought God's promises have come true. The very next chapter, 1 Kings 11, we see all the curses for disobedience coming upon Solomon and his family. He said it would be put off until after he was dead, but still, Solomon worshipped foreign gods. Ashtaroth from Sidonia, Milcom from Ammon, Chemosh from Moab, Molech from the Ammonites, and many others. He had so many wives, and they pulled his heart away. How many wives should Solomon have had? One. He forgot the law of God. And he did not worship only God. And all the curses, first all the blessings of the covenant, and then all the curses of the covenant were promised for Israel. You say, what does this have to do with me? Well, the same principles apply for us. For those who rebel against God, punishment is absolutely certain. Jesus describes hell more frequently than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus does. He calls it an eternal fire, an eternal punishment, outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a fiery furnace, a hell of fire, eternal fire. And he's not just describing the consequences of bad choices like, oh, I gained 10 pounds because I'm sedentary and I don't eat well or I have lung cancer because I smoke. It's not that kind of consequence. It's rebellion against the Almighty God. In Luke 19, Jesus describes God's attitude against those who reject Him. Where He says, as for these enemies of Mine who did not want Me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before Me. You see, hell is an eternal wrath reserved for those who despise and reject Him. God's rule is king. So we need to obey God because He has certainly revealed Himself to us. He's chosen us as His own possession. He's pure and holy. But we also don't want to take lightly His punishment. So that's point number two. Third point. There is still hope if you fail. Repent. There is mercy and grace. Verses 29 through 31. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. If you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Verse 31. For the Lord your God is merciful, God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers. You see, even when we are unfaithful, God is. Faithful. He's faithful to His promises. You say, well, that's a a really hard lesson. He would destroy them and send them out of the land. Do you realize the gods that Solomon worshipped, all of Israel worshipped? And for hundreds of years He was patient. And finally He did do exactly what He said and destroyed them. But they repented and they came back to God. The ultimate result of the exile was a people who were so dedicated to the law of God that they actually made it an idol. The Pharisees. The pendulum swung completely the other direction. Instead of keeping their eyes on God, they put their eyes all on the law. But certainly, the response from idolatry and from exile was right to look to God and seek to obey His law with all their heart and with all their soul. He's merciful and He's gracious. And He forgives. So I'll conclude with verse 37. He loved you and your fathers and He chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence and His power. This is the, the, the culmination of His whole argument here. He says He drove out the nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today, and this is for you as well, know therefore today and lay it in your heart, lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven, in heaven above and on the earth beneath, and there is no other. There were lots of trials and tribulations that the Israelites were going to experience. What did they need to know? The Lord is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. You face many challenges today. You may face many challenges in the future. This peace and prosperity that we enjoy now may not always last. What do you need to know? The Lord is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep His statutes and His commandments, verse 40, which I command you this day, that it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God has given you for all time. We talked about uh, on Wednesday evenings, we talked about the law of God and it was actually boiled down to just two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these, all the commandments of God hang. So when you look at the complexity of the problems you face, when you look at all the difficulties you may face in your own personal life, when you look out at the political spectrum or you look at the world and all the cultures of the world and you think, wow, everything is absolutely crazy. You need to remember that the Lord is God in heaven on above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. So you shall keep His statutes and His commandments. You just serve God. You wake up and you serve God every day. That's it, folks. You wake up and you say, Lord, let me live for Your glory this day. And then whatever He puts in front of your face, you use all of the Word of God that you've been reading every day, and you take it to the Lord in prayer. You do the best you can with the wisdom that He's given you. You don't need to be worried. You don't need to be anxious. You need to turn to the Lord every day. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, what do you say? Give me this day my daily bread. My daily bread. Every day. You need to remember that the Lord is God and then you want to serve Him and love Him with all your hearts soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Keep the statutes that your holy God has given you this day. This is His due. He has redeemed you. He has revealed Himself to you. He owns you. You're His child. So obey Him and trust Him. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word and we thank You that You've given us Your Word. We pray that our hearts would be encouraged by Your Word. That we would not make the mistakes that Israel made. That we would not be unaware of our own heart's waywardness. Lord, that we would guard our hearts carefully. That we would be very careful to strive to keep You in front of our eyes. We would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, open our eyes to Your Word, to Your truth. Change us and encourage us and strengthen us every day. Give us each day our daily bread. All that we need for that day. And may we never forget that you,